Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service of worship and remembrance in God's house this morning. We're going to open, we're going to sing two songs together. And as we sing together, I'd like you to listen out for those phrases and those songs that talk us about or speak to us and ask us to speak about seeking or hearing or listening to God, because that very much will be the focus of our worship and our thinking this morning as we come together and approach gradually through this morning our remembrance of the Lord Jesus who lives and reigns forever and speaks to us still. So let's stand and sing our first song, I Will Worship. We're going to pray together the words of that prayer that Jesus taught us. So we pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Steve Tanner has news of our plans and activities for today and the next few weeks. Morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here with you all, and it's great we can welcome Rachel with us this morning, and Sam, and also Davina. You're all very welcome to be with us, and I pray you have an uplifting morning. So here is the care news that Andrew and the care committee have provided for us to think about this morning. Pauline Price is still in Stepping Hill Hospital waiting to be discharged. This could be a while before her care package is put in place for her safe discharge. Pauline is on ward B3 and visiting is from 2pm to 4pm and 7pm to 8pm. Most of you will now know that Joe Richardson's mum died suddenly last Sunday afternoon. Her mother's funeral is on Monday the 25th of January and it's going to be hard for Jo who is back at work tomorrow and so we ask, Jo's asked that we pray for her. Sam Parker sends his love to everyone and we continue to think about Wan who is not here with us this morning um, suffering with his ongoing skin problems. Um, also worth remembering um, that the care committee have arranged for afternoon tea at the Pavilion Tea Room in Alexandra Park the room has been hired from 2.30 to 4.30 and there'll be something for everyone. Tea, coffee, cakes, the reviews overlooking the park, the opportunity to bike ride and scoot and play areas nearby. The care committee would love you to come as an opportunity to chat, relax, have fun and get to know each other better. That's on Saturday the 27th of February at 2.30 till 4.30. So we're going to spend some time in prayer we're going to bring before God Pauline and Joe and Joe's brother David and her dad, um, Sam Parker and Wan. Is there anybody else that we should think of this morning in our prayers? Ourselves, the people that we love and care for and the people that we specifically heard about in our care news this morning. And in a few moments time, I will lead us in prayer together. Father, thank you for hearing us, for listening to our words, our thoughts, our feelings, the things that we can't express 
in a way that anybody else would find intelligible except you, our maker. We bring before you all these people spoken about and unspoken about. Comfort us in our sorrow. Give us hope to bear what we have to, what we must, until Jesus comes again in glory. And all pain and uncertainty is swept away in the joy of an eternity with you and our Lord. Amen. Our next hymn asks us to listen and respond to Jesus, particularly um, in the midst of the sorrows of our human existence. And I'd like us to sing this song now as we reflect on the things that we've just prayed about and brought before God. So let's stand together and sing, I heard the voice of Jesus say. Ruth is going to come and read to us from Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where, is the, Christ, where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had, with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. 
for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea at the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Sorry, I didn't ask you. Um, quite like crisps. Um, Pass around for like. Um, anyway, sorry. Um, so, I do love Christmas, and this is me thrashing a little bit of the last of Christmas out um, in reading Matthew chapter 2. Um, but I'm doing that seriously. Um, it is traditional um, for many Christians um, on or about the 6th of January to celebrate Epiphany, um, a festival thinking about the manifestation of God in Jesus, which is really what um, Epiphany means, and to tie it very closely into the visit of those astrologers, those magi, those wise men who came to visit Jesus sometime after his birth. And so we have this sort of proxy for that, which is um, 12 days after the day on which we celebrate Christmas. Um, And it's really hard, isn't it, with those Christmas stories because they become deeply familiar almost to the extent that you trivialise them. And it's really hard sometimes to find anything new that will speak to us um, about the reality of our service and our discipleship of God and the Lord Jesus. But the thing that really resonates with me um, in those stories of the birth of Jesus right now is those dreams. Dreams are everywhere in those birth stories about Jesus. The dreams that the Magi and Joseph have um, that give them divine warnings of things yet to come. And we think about how dreams reappear in that story of the life of Jesus from the pagan Pilate's wife coming to Pilate saying that she'd been troubled in a dream because of Jesus. And even after Jesus' death, the apostles looking both forwards and backwards to that time of the last days when, in the words of the prophet, old men will dream dreams. And I'm, in my own spiritual experience, quite troubled and uncertain by dreams at the moment. And if anybody wants to talk to me about that usefully afterwards, I would really appreciate that. But what I want to do very specifically this morning is through my lived experience, through the lived experience of other people, and through listening to a little bit about what God says to us in the Bible, think about um, how God might speak to us right here, right now, just as he spoke to the Magi, to Joseph, to Pilate's wife, and lots of other biblical characters through the medium of dreams or whatever that might be. The media is really keen to trivialise experiences of Jesus. So from my least favourite newspaper, The Face of Jesus Crisp, you know, they love those kind of stories. Somebody sees something that might just possibly look like Jesus and it becomes really trivial. I'm not interested in those experiences I believe very profoundly that Jesus can and does speak to us. This is not the trivial stuff of crisps and media stories. This is about life-changing experiences. Nor do I share that 
view that theologians call the hyper-cessationist view, which is that the only way that God speaks to believers since the death of the last apostle sometime in the first century is through this book here, the Bible. And what I want to do this morning is to find that middle ground and think about how Jesus, the Lord God, might speak to us in our lives of believers. Let's take another reading from what sometimes is my favourite bit of the Bible. I'd like you to go to the end of Malachi um, for me. If your Bible is anything like mine, and I hope you've turned to it, after the end of Malachi, you've got this. It's a blank page. It's a blank page between when Malachi stopped speaking and the birth of Jesus in Matthew, about 400 years. And let's be brutally honest, doesn't it sometimes feel like that? That all God has to say to us is this. There's a blank page and we can't hear, detect or sense anything. And the reason I know that's true is because that's been true for me. And because I did something else really humbling this week. Um, It's so humbling that it almost negates the point of me even standing here, but hopefully will derive some benefit. I asked a random selection of people in this church this question. How and when does God speak to you? And I was humbled by the range and the honesty and the candor of some of those responses. And if this morning service does nothing else, I hope it makes you go and talk to some people over lunch... Um, on your way home over the next few days and weeks and just ask people that question and listen to the responses they give Um, because there I think is the deepest lesson that you can learn from the lived experience of people who have been being Christians for much longer and also much less time than I and there are some responses like this yes but I can't reliably say how all paths are fraught with uncertainty or I believe God speaks to anyone who's listening, but not through voice, just in little things, in nature, situations, spontaneous thoughts or feelings or insights, anything, if we're open to it. I'm not sure I've heard God recently, but that's probably because I've not been listening. And there's some of those blank page responses, those people going, why not? Why not? And so this morning, here is my personal three-point guide to being more receptive to listening to and hearing the voice of God. Step one, find the off switch. Evelyn Waugh wrote this in the 1940s towards the end of the Second World War. Um, It helps if you imagine the voice of Jeremy Irons, be still my heart, reading this. Um, You'll have to put up with me. He told me, And on that instant, it was as though someone had switched off the wireless and a voice that had been bawling in my ears incessantly, fatuously, for days beyond number, had been suddenly cut short. An immense silence followed, empty at first, but gradually, as my outraged sense regained authority, full of a multitude of sweet and natural and long-forgotten sounds. For he had spoken a name that was so familiar to me, a conjurous name of such ancient power that at its mere sound the phantoms of those haunted late years began to take flight. We are 
distracted and distractible. Um, I was talking to Liz and Dam and Sam, Sam on Wednesday evening and just reflecting on the fact that we have no need in the 21st century in this country to ever be bored because distraction is only a few taps of a phone away. We're not used to being anything other than distracted, of having things to constantly occupy ourselves. But before we think that's new or that we're special or we have a unique problem, I think even more saying, well, technology, other things have always been a distraction. I'm not saying they're necessarily bad things, but sometimes they shout at us constantly. And they're so loud and so present and so penetrating that we have absolutely no chance of hearing anything else. And if you want to think of a biblical basis, a story that might help us engage this idea of just needing to switch off some of those distractions, think about Mary and about Martha, two sisters, one who listened, one who was distracted by all that she had to do, and Jesus saying the right thing sometimes is to stop, don't be distracted, and just have that single-minded focus for Jesus. And I know that's something that I found to be true. Um, we were away over Christmas and I went to another church service on Christmas Eve and I confess to you the utter relief of not knowing anybody, of having no services to prepare, no fellowship weekend, no youth church, no Friday club, all those things that I do and I do them because they're important. I wouldn't live my life any other way but there are just some times when even serving God can be a distraction. And so sometimes maybe church and the life of church is the wrong place to listen and perhaps we need to switch that off too. Second step, we switch off and then we eject, we relocate. You might think about people in the Bible who do this. Think about the number of times that people eject themselves from their day-to-day -day lives and duties and go somewhere else to try and seek out and listen to God more clear clearly. Think about Jesus after his baptism going out into the wilderness away from everything including food and drink for some kind of encounter um, that clearly energised and empowered him and committed to him to the life that led to the cross and on and upwards to heaven and a future kingdom. Think about Jesus before the feeding of the 5,000, confronted with the death of John the Baptist and saying both to himself and his disciples, come away by yourselves and get some rest. Let's relocate ourselves from the day to day and seek out the voice that should be speaking to us. Think about Jesus before his arrest and his trial and his execution, going to Gethsemane again with his followers, and then even with his disciples relocating away from them to be by himself with God in prayer. And again, it works for me. I hope it works for you. I work in Manchester City Centre, and there are times when I'll go out at lunchtime and go and sit in front of this painting. Um, it's by a modern painter called Ghislaine Howard. It works for me, finding that quiet, relocating away from work in a slightly unfamiliar situation. And this image is very unfocused, but it helps me to focus on 
Jesus and what his death and his sacrifice and his resurrection means for me. There's something in the uncertainty of the painting itself that speaks to the uncertainty that I often feel about how Jesus does or doesn't speak to us. The people that I asked during the week said things like this. Yes, I do hear God in all sorts of ways, through people, the Bible, when I'm gardening in nature. I probably find the greatest encouragement, however, from sensing his presence rather than hearing a voice. So again, this idea that you go away, you eject, you relocate, you do something different. Well, what about this? I experience God speaking to me through song. For years, I've struggled with not hearing his voice not getting the clear answers and isn't there that blank page honesty there again and not getting direction and as yet I haven't heard him speak but music gets me in a place where through words I can connect and engage something I find difficult otherwise so that idea of relocating yourself whether to another place or to another environment listening to music um, might help us be receptive and hearing to the voice of God we turn things off we relocate ourselves, and then we listen. And I'd like to play a clip now. We'll see if this actually works. Pete and I had some problems with this. If it doesn't, hopefully enough of you will recognise it for me to be able to then subsequently um, explain it to you. But isn't that like us? Not listening refusing to do the things that might help us listen. Think about Elijah having, been, having to be extracted from where he was, sent away to the mountainside, being subjected to all the violence of the power of God in nature, and then finally hearing that still small voice. Or what about Jesus saying, when you pray, don't use very many words. Because actually, I think, implied in that teaching is, if you're talking too much, you're never going to be able to hear the voice of God speaking back to you. She's not here this morning, but if she was, Becky would tell you that I'm terrible at listening because I'm very easily distracted. I don't pay attention. It's a really hard thing to learn. And we heard that, didn't we, in some of those responses to that questions that I'd asked. Maybe I just haven't been listening perhaps as well as doing everything that we can in our power to switch off, to relocate, actually perhaps the hardest thing is just to listen and be patient enough to listen for long enough to hear the response. Somebody wrote back to me, one other big way has been something in print that is a direct response to prayer. Sometimes this has been the Bible, sometimes not, but I know it's God because of the effect it's like being punched in the stomach takes my breath, leaves me unable to speak, and often makes me cry. It only happens when I know I am very close to God. So the lesson is, if I want to hear him more, I should be close more of the time. And he is probably shouting into deaf ears far too much. The Magi and Joseph and even Pilate's wife were receptive and responsive to God speaking with them. And I think the epiphany story challenges us to switch off, eject ourselves and listen and be as receptive and responsive as they were.
Before we move on in our thoughts, I'd like us to sing another hymn together. It's this. Lord Jesus, I promised to serve thee to the end. And again, listen out for that language that talks to us about being receptive and listening to Jesus as we stand and sing this together. And for those of us for whom that's true, for those of us who have promised to serve Jesus to the end and committed our lives to him through baptism, we have this imperative from the Lord Jesus and it's something that Paul reiterates for us in the first letters of the Corinthian church, chapter 11. The tradition which I handed on to you came to me from the Lord himself, that on the night of his arrest, the Lord Jesus took bread and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in memory of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord of the death of the Lord until he comes. And mindful of what we've said this morning, as we come and share bread and wine, think about that meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. How he took them away from the crowds and the bustle of Jerusalem at Passover time to a room that they'd borrowed specifically for the occasion. How he took them away from distractions to focus on him and each other. Think about that sense of time passing as the meal progresses, about the bread and then the wine that's shared very specifically after supper, about giving people time to listen to and respond to his message. This everyday thing with a very spiritual dimension about teaching and experiencing God and thinking forward into the future about a habit to form and keep doing. So we're going to share bread and wine together and remember our Lord crucified and risen. And Jeff is going to come, Alida, thanks for the bread. Abba Father, we come together to meditate on Jesus' life and to recall all the things he's done for us. We thank you for Jesus, your gift, and him for his willingness to give himself in sacrifice for undeserving sinners like us. And we remember that Jesus spoke of bread on many occasions, including telling his disciples that he was the bread of life. And now we are preparing ourselves to share this literal bread that you have provided with our thanks and in obedience to his will, that we should do this regularly and all together in unity. Thank you, Father, for your almost unbelievable grace, and thank you for Jesus. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body. Time passed. The disciples listened to Jesus and after supper they took the cup and shared it together. And before we do that, Trev is going to come and pray with us all.
Father. Help us to stop. Help us to find places and circumstances where we can connect with you. Help us to listen. Thank you for providing this time. Thank you for providing your song. Help us be open to you. Thank you for this wine. Amen. This cup is the new covenant in the blood of Jesus. Let's share it together. I believe that God can and does speak. And this morning I've shared with you three things that I and others have found might help you to do that. Switch off, eject and listen. And I hope that you will find those things helpful. But I, as I did... I think the most useful thing you can do as soon as this service finishes to find another disciple and ask them that question, how and when does God speak to you? And as I've done this week, I think you'll get more wisdom than you'll ever get out of me. And I pray absolutely that you, each one of you, will find it to be true that God can and does speak to us right now. We're going to sing and then John Downer is going to lead us in prayer as our service ends. We're going to sing this. Jesus loves the church. Can you hear him singing? I love you. I've chosen you to be mine. Holy Father. Holy Father. So much of our time, Father, is spent thinking about us, about me, and what I want. Holy Father, help us to come to you and spend time with you and enjoy spending time with you and address you and call out to you. You speak to us all the time, I know. You speak to us in lots of different ways. You speak to us through lots of different people. But Father, thank you that you speak to us in and through Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for showing us what your Father is like and showing us 
what his and your love for us is about, what it's like. Lord Jesus, you know, you know us, we, we live very complicated lives and busy lives, all sorts of things going on. Help us, Lord, to stop and just listen. You know me, Lord, I find it very difficult to stop and listen and come to you and spend time with you. I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do in your presence. It's, it's silly, I think, Lord, for us to tell you things that you already know and and tell you things that you are. It's about us focusing. It's about us listening and longing to hear you. Spending time with you. I want to spend time with you. I want all of us to spend time with you, Lord. To spend time with you, Father, and with your lovely Son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, please help us in this. Amen.